Welcome to Get Real, Talking Mental Health and Disability. I'm Robin Hayden. In our summer series, we're zooming in on what it's like to live with a mental health condition, whether it's spending time in a psych ward, finally getting a diagnosis, dealing with trauma or the vulnerability of sharing our struggles with others. Over the next few years, the mental health system will be reshaped and reformed to reflect the lived experience of carers and consumers at all levels of governance, service design and delivery. This is a welcome reimagining of mental health services with the aim of delivering targeted, sensitive and appropriate care and support that meets people's individual needs, whatever they may be. At Get Real, we're committed to continuing to share the stories of people with lived experience of mental health challenges. So check out our 16 episodes specifically focused on lived experience and other episodes with sector leaders that are focused on mental health reform. But today, um, as regular listeners will know, Emily Webb is stepping in for me as the new host of Get Real. So Emily is our advocacy and external communications advisor. So Em, uh, what's our third summer series episode about and why is it an important story to share right now? Yeah, thanks Robin. Peer support and lived experience is going to be an important way to reform mental health services in Australia. And in Victoria, these changes are already underway. People like Jessie Ayton, who you'll hear in this episode, have invaluable experience to share, especially about seeking help for mental health and navigating the system. Jessie's story is about finding help for her mental health that eventually led to an autism diagnosis in her mid-30s. It's changed her life and Jessie is a passionate advocate for other women and girls who are autistic. Recently, there has been an increase in calls for women with a disability and mental health conditions to share their stories, because their experiences of diagnosis are often quite different. I know listeners will get a lot out of hearing Jessie's story today. Welcome to Get Real, Talking Mental Health and Disability. I'm Robin Hayden. This is the 10th episode in our lived experience series where we're speaking with some remarkable people who've experienced and overcome adversity and who are sharing their stories in a way that might help other people who are also in need of support. In this episode of Get Real, we're meeting Jessie Ayton. Jessie is an experienced radio producer and public speaker, having worked for the ABC in regional Western Australia and for 3AW Radio, which is the top rating station in Melbourne. When she embarked on her career, she was no stranger to the media. Her father is Doug Ayton, who is a highly regarded journalist and worked for the ABC as a broadcaster for many years. While working in her high-pressure, fast-paced career in broadcasting, Jessie was going through a journey with her mental health. And then at age 34, she discovered she was autistic. And as she'll tell us, this has changed her life and fueled a passion for providing peer support for other women and girls who are autistic as well. According to Amaze, the peak body for autistic people and their supporters in Victoria, what we know about autism in Australia is that around 1 in 100 Australians is autistic and 85% of the community has a personal connection with an autistic person. There's also current evidence that around 50 to 70% of autistic people also experience mental health conditions and that this presents at higher rates in women and girls. 
Jessie has started her own business called The Lost Girl, providing autism support for late identified women. The Lost Girl also represents identity for Jessie and navigating life now that she has discovered she's on the spectrum. So welcome, Jessie. It is awesome to have you join us. Thank you, Robin. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you for coming inside on this um, nice, warm, sunny Melbourne day. We're not going to get too many more of those, I think, this year, but it's um, it's nice to have a little bit of sunshine. Um, so, Jessie, I know you've had a really interesting and varied career in the Fast and Furious radio industry. And before we talk about, you know, mental health and your late autism diagnosis, which is what we'll mostly talk about today, um, I'd love to know, and I'm sure our listeners would love to know more about the work that you've done um, in the media and and your background. Can you tell us a bit about that? Absolutely. I actually started in the big bad world of advertising where I worked for about three years straight out of university and then, as you mentioned, moved into into media. I started off at 3AW where I worked for five years as a producer, so produced everyone from Neil Mitchell to Dennis Walter and Ross and John and I absolutely loved that and, yeah, probably my favourite program to work on there was um, I was Grubby and Dee Dee's producer for two years which I loved because it was a smaller team and I didn't know that I was on the spectrum then but smaller teams tend to work quite well for women such as myself and yeah I absolutely love that and then moved over to regional Western Australia where I produced um, the State Drive program for about a, a year and a half mm. and yeah that's my background. Wow, that sounds really fascinating and and life on the road and life in radio. I would imagine there's never a dull moment and lots of having to be adaptable to change and and kind of having to roll with things. How did did you find that yourself? I loved it. The thing that I think that I loved the most about my time in media was working with all the different people. There were people that I would never have had the opportunity to meet or work with and Obviously, there are more high-profile people such as politicians or authors and celebrities, but then also just the everyday people such as farmers and midwives and truckies and Mm. just people from all walks of life, which was just so interesting to me. So that was my my great love, I think, working. And, And I especially loved working with people that had been through more traumatic things that I really enjoyed um, working with them and bringing their stories to life in a sensitive way. Yeah, yeah, and there's a there's obviously some connections there with the, the storytelling and and the work that you do now and and kind of the journey that you've been that you've been on. So that all yes. that all makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And I, I I believe that you know before you found out you were an autistic woman that you'd had your own journey with with mental health. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and you know what was happening for you that made you start that process of seeking more information and, and seeking help? Absolutely. I had always had a pretty complex time with my mental health. I had, I've always had really significant anxiety and depression, particularly anxiety. I also have struggled with OCD before and body dysmorphia, and I had sought out um, help in the past. And it was strange because usually if you have someone with PTSD, they've gone through really significant things such as perhaps sexual abuse or a war situation or really obvious jarring things 
And I kept being told that I had PTSD, but it was frustrating because I couldn't, I couldn't really put my finger on anything. I was like, well, there's nothing really in my life that has happened that I could attest to, to causing PTSD. Mm. And as I found out later, there actually was a whole lot that I had been kind of pushing down and choosing not to face, which, which came out later, obviously, after my, my autism diagnosis. Mm. But probably mm. the, the peak crisis, I think, when it really reached breaking point was when I was in Western Australia and I was working for the ABC at that point. I was very isolated. I didn't have my support network around me that I would normally have. And I just was really getting worse and worse. And I wasn't really open with people about what was going on because I am quite private. And Mm. eventually it got to the point where I was, I was unsafe. I was, my safety was being compromised. So um, I decided to check myself in to acute care in Bunbury in the, in the public sector, <laughs> interesting experience. Um, and then from there I was in and out of hospital. I always admitted myself, but um, back and forth for two years and I was, diagnosed with everything and put on all these medications that were sort of so heavy duty and as it turned out completely wrong for me right Mm. and yeah my story is not unusual at all um obviously I had no idea that I was autistic at this point but yeah after that I decided to um resign from my position at the ABC and really tackle what was going on for me which is what Mm. I did but that was sort of the, the peak point for me of, of when it got the worst that it could. That must have been really challenging to be so far away from home and your supports and, and to have, you know, various people kind of coming in and saying, well, we think that this is going on for you and we think that that's going on for you and for you to be, you know, part of that. But it, yet it sounds like almost not part of that and not feeling as though any of those things really felt true for you at the time. Was that what it was like? Absolutely, it was. Mm. I was just feeling like I was getting every label thrown at me and I was meant to be working through all this stuff, but I was like, I don't even know what I'm really meant to be working through because I just seem to have all these acronyms. Mm. And I just, as you said, I just had so many people coming in and I was really wanting, I was really fighting for my mental health. I was really wanting to be functioning and, and getting well and a fully operative person. Um, but I think being in the healthcare system for so long, I kind of just became this husk of myself. I really, that, that was just defining me, um, having all, it it was traumatic. It was really traumatic being in, in the psychiatric care system and no one could kind of figure out, you know, quote, what was wrong with me. Mm. And yeah, so it was. It's only really now that I've, in the last year or so, that I've started proverbially coming back to life. (laughs) Yeah, wow, that's really, that's so interesting, isn't it? What was it that changed for you that made you, um, so we'll talk about your diagnosis and the fact that Mm. it was, you know, relatively late at the age of 34, but what what changed for you? What made you think this, I'm I'm not getting the help that I need, this doesn't feel quite right for me, I'm going to go down a different path or was it? different to that did something serendipitous happen um that that set you on that different path I there was no real 
sort of starting point as to why I suspected that I could be on the spectrum. I did suspect something was up and I had raised it before with a professional who was very well-meaning, but I was told that I was too social to be on the spectrum, which is something that a lot of women, uh, late diagnosed women hear. And I just started reading. I, I went down this rabbit hole of reading and a lot of the literature online is geared toward kids. Yeah. And my my perception of autism, particularly working in media, was was very rigid. I'd worked with autistic kids and people before. I thought that I knew what it looked like. So I started researching and reading about women who were on the spectrum and a lot of what they were writing and saying was really hitting home for me and just thinking, wow, like they're they're hugely articulate and they're creative and they're just not at all what I thought that autism looked like at at all Mm. and I broached the I was so nervous I was working with a different doctor by this stage who was who was a woman and I have essentially put together this case as to why I felt that I could be on the spectrum to the point that I was really wanting to be on the spectrum because I was wanting um, I was wanting to have an answer as to why I had faced and felt how I'd felt. Yeah. So I essentially put this case together and I took it to her and I'll always be so grateful to this beautiful lady. And I said, look, I think that I could be on the spectrum. And she said, you know what, Jesse? I went to a seminar two weeks ago about autistic women and psychiatry and your face just kept coming to mind the whole time that I was sitting through this seminar. And yes, I think that you could be on the spectrum. And from there, we pursued a formal diagnosis. So I was very lucky in terms of the reception that I got from this particular woman. And a lot of women don't don't have that sort of luck. Yeah. But it was a significant moment. Hence the, hence the late diagnosis because, you know, in your case it sounds like lots and lots of things had to fall into place. You had to be in the right place at the right time with the right person, doing some of the right research yourself to, to get that information. And I know you said that, you know, this was a huge turning point for you, um, your late diagnosis at age 34, and you've written on your website, um, The Lost Girl, that recognising that you're autistic is just the starting point to unravelling your life up to this point. And this is a process process unique to autistic women so really interested in your um, experience and hearing about that and and would be really keen to hear your perspective on what the barriers are you know to women finding out um, about autism and whether they might be on the spectrum because it sounds like this is something that you really had to go and dig for and discover yourself absolutely there are so many barriers Robin it comes down I think first and foremost is that the the what autism looks like in women is not as obvious as what it perhaps looks like in in the stereotypical boy in a classroom and I include um, gender diverse people in in that too and obviously they they make up a huge part of the autistic community but with women they will typically suspect that they will be on the spectrum but when they and often it's because their children have been diagnosed and they something clicks with them that they mm. realise they, they could also be on the spectrum because it's genetic, of course. 
But when they go to healthcare professionals or go to their GPs or go to psychologists, because there's not that understanding, they're just knocked back and told no consistently. And women on the spectrum typically aren't the best at advocating for themselves. So they're being knocked back and they're being devalidated. And these women are actually really wanting to have some answers and not generally hugely concerned if they could be on the spectrum, but just frustrated at the lack of understanding and being told no. So that's the first thing. Secondly, Mm. to have a formal diagnosis, I was very lucky, but there's obviously a financial barrier there. So to get any sort of formal diagnosis can cost anywhere from 800 to over $1,000. And if women have neurodivergent kids, the the priority will will be their children. And so they just don't have the means or the funds or the, the resources. If they're in rural areas, they will have one doctor, one psychologist, you can they can pretty much forget about <laughs> getting a, a formal assessment. Um, so there are there is all sorts of logistical things like that. But I think primarily there's just not enough knowledge as to what autism looks like in women. Mm. And it's a huge area that needs to be better understood and better developed because there are so many of us. You you mentioned some of the stats in your in your intro. Mm. Most women on the spectrum will be late diagnosed and it just doesn't have to be that way, I don't feel. Yeah, and it sounds as though, you know, there were some pretty significant and very serious things going on for you um, before that happened and, and even in respect of women with with children who are caring perhaps for others, you know, as you were talking about that, I, I had that vision of the metaphor of putting your own oxygen mask on first, you know, who, who's caring for the person who's who's doing that caring for, for other people and who's Absolutely. helping them um, to make sense of, of their own experiences. So when you when you got your diagnosis, um, how have you made some sense of your life and experiences now that you know that you're an autistic woman? Was it like something finally clicked and you thought, oh, right, now, now now I understand why this happened, why I felt this way for so long. Was it like that for you? It absolutely was like that for me. So I'm a year on right. from my diagnosis and I've basically spent the last year just being like, ah, oh, I get it, I understand. And it was just that real light bulb moment. And also a lot of stuff that I had to really I had to really take a bit of a deep dive into myself and remember a lot of my experiences and the way that I'd felt because I'd pushed a lot of it down. And it absolutely, as you said, it was an aha moment and recognising why I can be so blunt at times and why I can be quite direct and why I've got this laser focus. And But also I think crucially why I felt certain ways in why I felt a certain way in various situations and and feeling on the outer and and just feeling, I suppose, um, emotionally quite isolated from others. So it was it was a very powerful process, very, very powerful process to start to unravel all of that. And this is a very common thing. For, for women that are late diagnosed, they'll have to sort of start piecing everything together. Mm. And it's a it's a process, I think, that's completely unique to women on the spectrum. It's very hard to, for other people, which is quite understandable, for other people to, to understand what it's, what's going on for us and what that process is like. 
Uh, so it's a very powerful process. There's a lot of grief involved, but there's also a lot of, I like to think, positivity with that too, this this deeper level of self-understanding and self-acceptance and actually feeling oh, I'm not I'm not a failure that I'm just I'm an autistic woman and that is actually quite amazing in a lot of ways I, I love autistic women in general I think that we're wonderful I really do I think that we can be so creative and have this terrifying level of attention to detail and <laughs> also feel emotions so very deeply mm. and I think that a lot of people would be surprised as to just what women on the spectrum can bring to the table because I think that we have so much to to offer and I think that we're wonderful creatures. So it's been uh, it's taken me a while to get to that point, but it's been hugely rewarding for me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, do you look at that those experiences that you were having with your mental health and and think if I'd known what was going on for me, I would have been able to put those experiences more in context of um autism for example, rather than the other labels that were being um perhaps given or offered to you at that time. Absolutely. I would have had I, I've described autism as having the key to oneself. Mm. So obviously a lot of those um, co-occurring conditions such as OCD or a lot of women on the spectrum will have eating disorders, they'll have lots of things going on for them, just this huge accumulation of different medical conditions, um, mental health conditions, but also physiological conditions too. There are massive patterns in things that we experience in our bodies. And I think that having this, this key to yourself is really the starting point to starting to unlock some of those reasons as to why you could be struggling with, with certain things and actually starting to move through it and also moving through trauma that you've experienced in your life and coming to terms with that and really making a good go of it and feeling a lot more at peace with oneself, which is great. Yeah, I mean that's uh, somebody said to me once, and I can't remember who said this, and 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 you know probably is a famous quote somewhere, but that the longest relationship and the most important relationship you'll ever have in your life is is with yourself, and it is so important, isn't it, to understand yourself and where you're coming from in order to be able to be who you are in the world and in relationship to others and 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 you know pursue the things that you want to do so how do you feel that um, your diagnosis has maybe changed the way you relate to other people in your world or the way that other people relate to you have you noticed much of a difference there yeah I have actually that's a great question I think um, I have to disclose the fact that I'm autistic because just conversationally people say you know what will you do for work and so I do have to disclose that I'm I'm on the spectrum which is not a luxury that every autistic woman will have particularly if she is in a rural area and she's not able to disclose but I can and people find that really interesting in me and I think <laughs> they really want to ask questions and and take a real interest and obviously they're not wanting to say the wrong thing but they're wanting to learn more so I think that it's people will uh, find it very interesting that I'm on the spectrum because obviously I don't come across as what a stereotypical autistic person would, would look like. In terms of how I relate to others, I think 
when you have a better relationship with yourself, you can relate to others a lot more easily. Mm. So that's been great because I've spent the last year or so tapping into, okay, I've got this diagnosis now and I've got this, I feel, key piece of information about myself that I haven't had before. Okay, so what are my values? What does this mean? What ha- what now? And so it has really given me an amazing opportunity to do a huge deep dive into myself and work out what I love, what are my strengths, what are my challenges, what am I really good at, and how can I actually, after I think being three years out of the workforce, what does this mean for me now? Like how can I actually give back and, and utilise my strengths based on what I know now? Mm, mm. So it's just been hugely, It's it's been the most significant thing to happen for me, I think, in my life. And if you had told me working as a producer in three years you're going to be in this field, I'd be like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? So it's been the ultimate pivot, yeah. I think, in my life. But such an exciting one, I think. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I know when, you know, talking to you and looking at some of the information on your website, there's obviously, there's a, there sounds like there's a real gap um, in understanding about autism in women and that that's quite clear. Um, And the late diagnosis is part of that. But what about the day-to-day experience? What's your experience been like getting um, assistance from professionals? Um, So you you found this one doctor who was great and helped you to get the diagnosis. What about the ongoing experience? How's that been for you? And do you think that that's improving or changing? Yeah, it's very varied. With autistic women, we tend to have a lot of, I mentioned before, we have a lot of co-occurring physiological conditions usually. So we'll have problems with our our cycles and our hormones. We have issues with our gut. We have quite reactive skin a lot of the time. We'll have blood pressure disorders. So we have a lot of physical manifestations of what I believe to be mental stress. So we will be having to go to appointments quite a lot day to day. And the understanding of what autism looks like in women, it's, I'll be really blunt, it's pretty appalling. It's really appalling. And I have been really picky with the people that I work with. I had one person tell me one time that they didn't believe that autism existed, which was just extraordinary to me. There Mm. are, (laughs) it is extraordinary. There are some specialists that are fantastic and I always push the point that if you're going to work with any sort of psychologist and you're on the spectrum, it's crucial that you work with one that is familiar with autism in women because it's a completely different experience I think that the way that medical professionals understand and look at autism is changing I think that we're in a really exciting time in that this generation of autistic women are somewhat of a pioneering generation so the the generation behind us will have a much easier time than what we did so I do think that attitudes are changing but there's a lot of room for improvement I think what frustrates me the most it doesn't bother me so much if a specialist doesn't know a lot about autism that's fine what frustrates me is when they're not open to to autism or the fact that a woman is autistic and actually learning from her and just shutting her down all the time that's what frustrates me because I think that 
it is invalidating. And as we do have quite a lot of specialists around us, there's not a lot of communication between those specialists. So care can be a bit, it can feel a bit fragmented. Yeah. And we're the only, you know, I look at myself as a switchboard, like I have to, to manage sort of everybody. Lucky I used to be a producer. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> handy skill to have. Yeah. Um, but if you've got a woman in the in the in a rural community, she will have, I think I mentioned before, one one doctor, one GP, one psychologist. Mm. And if they don't understand, that's kind of it for her. And it's just, yeah, there's a lot of room for improvement. And I think that we will get there, but there's a long way to go, I think. Hence where the, the greater understanding of lived experience is, is so important, which I think is a nice um, nice entree to what we want to talk about next, which is some of the, you know, the broader kind of systemic I- issues here and, and, you know, what needs to improve and what needs to change. So there's obviously a lot of discussion at the moment about the findings from the Royal Commission into Victoria's mental health system and pretty much in every episode this year we've been talking a little bit about this in one way or the other. Um, and, you know, it's been identified that peer support um, mental health workers with lived experience are a really important part of reforming the system and you've alluded to that how how do you help when you don't uh, actually know what the condition looks like or understand what it is and therefore you know can't find perhaps the appropriate ways to help so one of the recommendations from the royal commission is that the state government develop and oversee digital peer-led support platforms offering consumers access to peer support networks. And you yourself um, are already doing this work. So with The Lost Girl, you offer a service called Have a Couple With Me where you, um, someone with lived experience, can talk to women who may be newly diagnosed or suspect they may be autistic or even identify with some of the traits common to autism. And you've got quite a long list on your website. And looking through those, there there are actually quite a – there's quite a number of, of ways that this can can present um, in women that you know as you said yourself you know you found that once you knew a lot of things fell into place for you so tell us a little bit more about the power of peer support you know what's it like to provide that what's it like to receive it and what's that experience been like for you so far it is essential robin that any woman who suspects that she could be on the spectrum or has just been diagnosed or she's self-identified, that she connects with other people. That will be her wealth of information and self-understanding and validation. So she can go to as many experts as she wants. I can assure her (laughs) that the most healing thing for her will be to connect with, with others that have gone through similar things. So I became quite involved in the autistic community myself when I was first diagnosed and that was very helpful to me connecting with with other people just because there are such commonalities between our experiences and the way that we've felt and um yeah our our value system also tends to be inherently quite similar Mm. so that has been really instrumental to me as you mentioned I decided it was really important for me to give back to women like myself. Hence, I set up Have a Cuppa with me, which was an opportunity for me to connect with women and talk to them and validate them. Because for so many of us, we've gone through life with this sort of narrative within us that whether we're the black sheep or we're perfectionists or we can't keep up or we've 
not done well at uni, not because we're not intelligent, but because we're completely overloaded with, with deadlines or subject matters or needing to keep up. And this narrative begins that we're failures or we're bad or, you know, there's, as we mentioned, this accumulation of, of mental health conditions that mm. start to pile up. So, yeah, peer, offering peer support for me has been wonderful because the women that I've met with so far do tend to be in more isolated areas. So they're not able to disclose to their community necessarily. It's easy for me to get up on a soapbox and say, I'm autistic. I've got a background in the media. I can be open about it. Nothing you would know. Media People in the media don't really get phased by, by much. <laughs> but for, for other women, that's absolutely not the case. They can't mm. disclose. They may not have anyone that they can necessarily talk to. It's a big secret. It's also, as we mentioned, a really unique thing to start realising that you're on the spectrum or I think a lot of people will get handed a formal diagnosis and then they're just feeling like they're sort of left. They're like, well, what now? What I, I don't really know <laughs> what to do. I've got this piece of paper and I don't really know what to, what to do or how to go about life now. So connecting mm. with other women or another woman that has been through the same thing is hugely powerful for them because they're able to speak openly firstly. And I've had women disclose things to me that they've never told anyone else, which for me is such a privilege to be able to have these women feel that they can open up and feel that they won't be judged and I and actually validate them in their experience because it's not that they're not trying through therapy and things like that but I think just having someone listen to them for I had one woman recently say I've never been validated by anyone before and I actually don't know what to do with it I don't know how to feel <laughs> which was which was lovely of her to say and very humbling but it's it's hugely powerful for them but it's also hugely powerful for me and it's that most women on the spectrum will be deep empathizers we can we can really empathize with people much more than the average person and real very deep thinkers very very creative introspective and so yeah it's it's not only I don't not only do I recommend it I feel that it's essential for women to either be joining a Facebook community or Facebook group or a peer support group or something where mm. they feel that they can open up and and fully talk about how they felt throughout their life. Yeah, and that's it's it's so validating and 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 healing to meet others who have gone through similar experiences and to know that you're not the only person um, who's experienced that and that there are others like you and and there's a real sense of of, of identity in in understanding mm. that you know this is this is not a this is not a thing that um, that you're alone in, um, mm. I guess. Yeah, it's it's really powerful, isn't it? Do you do you find that there's you know that that the value you mentioned earlier about um, autistic people, um, perhaps autistic women, maybe working better or being better in small groups or one to one? Is that something that you're thinking of doing? Maybe you, obviously you're doing one to one now. Are you thinking about doing more groups or bringing people together somehow? It sounds like a like a big thing would perhaps not work all that well. But oh, what are I your thoughts in that. that space? 
Yeah, definitely. I really hope to grow the Have a Cuppa um, a lot further and I have a lot of ideas about things that could work. And I think, I think as you mentioned, small groups t- tend to be better for us <laughs> one-on-one. Mm. But I think, um, I think it's, I think the power of this has actually been the the silver lining with COVID that everything is done online nowadays, which is great. Yeah. But it's great particularly for autistic women because we don't have to worry about executive functioning with with getting to various places and getting. We tend to get lost quite a bit. <laughs> we can't read maps all that well, um, <laughs> so we don't have to <laughs> worry about that. Um, plus, being able to do a community group online is great because you're at home and you can have your environment set up as you need it you can have your animals around you if if that's more helpful for you so Mm. I think that there's lots of opportunity for these sorts of spaces to develop and I hope very much to to be able to to get have a couple with me to to that point Mm. um because I think that it's hugely valuable and I it's also just when when you hear a, a woman on the autism spectrum actually thank you and tell you um how relieved she feels and how much I really loathe people the idea of people feeling isolated so exactly as you say it combats that feeling of being alone and when you have a woman actually thank you for that there's actually no feeling so to be able to develop that into something bigger would be a wonderful dream of mine and I tend to make my dreams happen Robin (laughs) (laughs) I have absolutely no doubt about that I mean what you've managed to do in a year I think is is remarkable so watch this space everybody there's a there's a lot more coming um you know from from Jessie I think more broadly in terms of what you're doing obviously is that's fantastic and obviously very validating both for you and for the women that that you're working with more broadly what kind of changes would you like to see in support for women and girls with autism and what 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 are the most pressing needs um there i think that we really need to build up our understanding generally as we're talking about before of what autism in look in women and gender diverse people look like it's such an it's a very niche area which is what drew me to it Mm. um very very niche and one that I think is opening up you would be amazed at the people that I talk to every day where they say oh yeah I know you know my my um neighbor has Asperger's or my uh my daughter's friend and everyone as you mentioned in your intro uh will know a woman with autism uh, even if they don't know that she's autistic, we tend to sort of be everywhere. So there's obviously a lot of um, room for development. But I think that there certainly, I think the NDIS really need to open up their understanding of um, firstly autistic women, but there are a huge amount of barriers there. Mm. If you're, um, if you've got low support needs, then the NDIS basically doesn't cater to you at all. And so those women will be basically forgotten about, which is terrible because they have just as much right, I feel, to support. But because we present in a different way, we sort of fly under the radar. So I think the NDIS really need to sharpen up there. Mm. Um, But I think that generally it just, some of those barriers in terms of accessing a formal diagnosis and accessing... um, support to to women on the spectrum is something that's it's it's integral but I think that people need to realize just 
um, how much that will affect the individual that's seeking it. It will make such an improvement to her life and her sense of well-being. Mm. It, it's it's simply, it, it's so essential and it's so important, I feel, um, to her happiness and her livelihood. And that's the most important thing, the individual. Whereas systems such as NDIS or or um, other systems like that, they don't look at the individual as a whole. They just look at it from sort of a, a systemic systemic lens, which which isn't entirely helpful. But I think um, crucially, just getting a better understanding in terms of of what autism looks like in us, because it's not as obvious. But then making sure that the majority of that conversation is driven by people that are actually on the spectrum. Because we're the ones with the lived experience. We're the ones that have the that insight to offer. Yeah. So it's integral that it's led by us. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And speaking of that, um, you were recently a guest speaker, I believe, at the Yellow Ladybugs Autistic Girls and Teens Mental Health and Safety Conference, and that was online, I think, um, and autistic-led with the majority of the speakers being neurodivergent um, autistic. What was that experience like for you the first time that, you, that you've done something like that? It was so exciting. I was so thrilled to be invited to speak, and um, there are a host of different different people talking and offering their own unique vantage points. Um, it was wonderful. And I think in, in, my, in the last year that I've done this deep dive, a great thing for me has been able to, has been tapping into my own creativity, which I didn't actually realise was there, which, and a lot of women that I know on, on the spectrum are hugely creative and that's how we express ourselves. So I put together this story actually where, whereby I go back over a series of, of conversations and speak to my younger self as a five-year-old and learn from her as to what she wants from her life mm. and, you know, having this compromised sense of identity, which is a real theme with late-identified women, this, this sense of identity and who we are. And so I put together this story as to um, these conversations that I had with, with um, who I call my littlest lost girl which I loved putting together and it is actually based on fact on a whole lot of, um, yeah, just uh, my own personal connection with, with my younger self, which is a, a real theme with autistic women, this, this sense of a younger self. And so I did this presentation and I got all these beautiful messages from women that said, I'm sitting in my lounge room crying. And I said, it's an honour to make you weep in your home. I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so pleased that this that this story really really spoke to you. So that was just hugely ah oh, it was it was really wonderful to be able to uh, put something together that I think really spoke to a lot of people listening. And I'm sorry that they were crying, but the fact that they were moved was wonderful. So it was a wonderful experience, and I, I, it was really an honour to be able to 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 be a part of it. And to make that emotional connection is is all part of this, isn't it? And if if you reflect back on the last twelve months um, since your diagnosis, and you think about the context and the time in which that diagnosis has happened, I mean, we're going through a global pandemic, and you've had this kind of roller coaster with your mental health before your diagnosis twelve months ago. Um, 
how do you feel coming out on the other side? You know, 12 months have, have passed. What do you feel is different within yourself perhaps? And, and do you think that, you know, that you w- might perhaps relate that to how others are feeling through the pandemic and, you know, how things might have been different for you if you hadn't received that diagnosis when you did? Yeah, I feel very lucky to have had firstly my diagnosis at all but the fact that it happened during COVID meant that I probably had a little more time than what a lot of um, women who identify as being autistic might have otherwise Mm. so I had that time where I wasn't having to keep up with with work and all these things and I could just stay home Um, but I feel hugely positive about the the future I think which is something that I haven't really had before I have a much more grounded understanding of myself Um, I'm a lot more in tune with how I'm feeling and what's going on for me and also a lot more in tune with my values I think that prior to this point there's a sense with me that I've just been drifting through life a bit and not really sure of, you know, why I'm here and what I can possibly offer the world and um, what my skills are. But this experience, though it's been hard and it's still hard at times, this experience just in the last 12 months has been, it's been quite unbelievable really. I'm in Mm. such a different place Mm. to where I was 12 months ago. I, I didn't, know that I would I I didn't know that I was a woman on the spectrum but I'm sure glad that I am Mm. I think that autistic women are incredible I really do I think that I think they're beautiful well I think we're beautiful people and creatures and I think that we have so much that we can that we can offer through the way that we see the world and the way that we relate to ourselves so I just feel hugely grateful that I um, that I am autistic. I, I don't um, love every aspect of it every day, <laughs> but <laughs> I generally um, love the way that my mind works and my ability to empathise with others. And, yeah, so I feel a lot more positive about my path, I suppose, than I did three years ago. I was just a husk of a, of a woman three three years ago I was in and out of the system but now I'm substantially de-husked I'm (laughs) a lot more (laughs) together and I I feel that it will just keep improving and I feel that um, as we spoke about before my great love is people and that's why I loved producing and hearing people's stories and as as we were saying I'm now able to to recreate that but in a different way so I feel very grateful and I feel grateful to be able to speak about it publicly too I I feel a real responsibility to do so because I'm in a position where I can Mm. so yeah I just it's it's been wonderful yeah and there's a real purpose and a a meaning and an identity um in 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 what where you are and now what you're able to do for others which I think is so so powerful and so positive it's a really positive 
message for others to hear who may be in a similar situation or know others who are in a similar situation and and of course you can reach out to 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 jesse through her website um the lost girl and have a couple with her um that's something that i think you are are really really keen to do we've loved chatting to you today um i've certainly learned a lot and i'm sure our listeners have too is there anything else that you'd like to mention that perhaps we didn't get to time always goes so fast It does. I've loved our chat too and thank you for having me. I think that um, I I guess a final thought would be for women that suspect that they could be on the spectrum or they've just, um, they're they're really soon after their diagnosis or self-identifying. I would love them to know that it's going to be okay. It really is. And this is a wonderful thing that you've been, that they've been given or you've been given. And will feel overwhelming but 12 months on I can say that it's it's going to be okay and um, I hope that that is something that your listeners can take from from this chat. I think that's a fantastic message to end with thanks so much Jesse, for joining us it's been wonderful to have you. Thank you for having me I've loved it. Awesome. Thank you again to Jesse Ayton. Um, I'm Robin Hayden and you've been listening to Get Real, Talking Mental Health and Disability. I'd like to thank Jesse so much for joining us, for sharing her story today and her work and her thoughts. Um, I've learned a lot and I hope you have too. For our listeners, if you've been affected by anything that we've talked about in this episode, you can call Lifeline on 131114. And of course, you can find out more about Jesse on her website, thelostgirl.com.au and her her have a couple with me peer support service the details will also be in the show notes for this episode and don't forget to join us next time on get real for more conversations about mental health and disability if you're enjoying the podcast we'd love you to share get real with your friends and networks and subscribe to the show that way you won't miss an episode You can also rate and review Get Real on your preferred podcast listening platform. We're listed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher and Pocket Casts. Until then, stay safe, stay well and look after yourself. We'll see you next time.